Last year, those selling alcohol in New Zealand began grappling with the changes in the law following the implementation of the new Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act. This Radio New Zealand Insight program has been finding that for a resort like Queenstown, where alcohol consumption is high as holidaymakers relax and enjoy a break, the changes have forced the community to take a hard look at the role alcohol plays in its wider tourism offering. On any given night, as many as 100,000 people are holidaying in Queenstown, New Zealand's premier resort high in the Southern Alps. Much of the nightlife focuses here on the central bar and restaurant area by the shores of Lake Waikatipu. The party town attitude and drinking culture is a big part of what makes Queenstown attractive to many visitors and it's a major driver of the economy. But with new legislation in place aimed at reducing the harm caused by drinking, is it time to change course or should the status quo continue? I'm Steve Wilde and for this insight I've spent the past six months looking at drinking in the resort town and considering if alcohol is part of Queenstown's lifeblood or a slow poison. For many holidaymakers, a night of drinking follows a simple formula. Buffaloes? Yeah. Buffaloes. Buffaloes. <laughs> yeah, buffaloes or cowboys. I heard about that. I've been there. It's nice. Why do you like it? <laughs> because at... Uh... Because the prices of the drinks, they're pretty good here. <laughs> no, no, they're, no, they're no. pretty expensive everywhere. It's cheaper in, uh, in the supermarkets than in the club. So what do you do? You go to the supermarket, get... How much would you buy at the supermarket? Uh, it's like six beers for $15, $15 or something. Yeah. Nah, that's cheaper. You can get... No, uh, yeah, it's, it could be cheaper, but in yeah. the, when you go to a bar, it's like $8 for a beer. Yeah, it's less than $2 uh, like yeah. this, and in the club it's... it's the difference in is the too big, I think. bar is $8, yeah. so yeah. yeah. So what, you find, find the bars too expensive? I think it's too expensive. Yeah. It's way too in expensive. Holland, it's a lot Europe, yeah. it's <laughs> really expensive here. Yeah. So how much would you drink before you go to the bar? Just a couple of beers. Not too much. No. Shots? No. Ah. <laughs> if it's if it's a crazy night, some Jagerbones, but that's also very expensive, so yeah. <laughs> Cheap air travel and direct flights from the eastern seaboard of Australia have brought an influx of young, active holidaymakers who are here to soak up every imaginable type of adventure activity by day and come sunset, they can turn drinking into a sport all of its own. In 2012, New Zealand changed its laws around the sale and supply of alcohol. The new legislation aimed to reduce the harm caused by drinking and empower local communities to have more of a say in how alcohol is sold. The Queenstown Medical Officer of Health, Dr Derek Bell, says the drinking culture in the resort is placing a major burden on the local health sector. We know for a fact that the vast majority of health professionals are very concerned about the amount of alcohol-related harm that they see. We have health professionals both working in the community in the form of um, private practitioners, not just doctors but nurses and counsellors and mental health workers. And we of course have our hospital doctors and nurses. Across the board everyone is very concerned at the amount of alcohol related harm to health that they see. On top of that, we're aware of very strong comments from the judiciary, some of the local judges 
who preside in Queenstown have made very pointed comments about the alcohol-related harm that they see in the courts here. And we know that there's a, a spillover effect into less visible areas of concern such as domestic violence, sexual assault and that sort of thing. The New Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act put in place a mechanism for local communities to have their own voice on how alcohol is sold by giving territorial authorities the option of developing a local alcohol policy. The policy can limit the location of licensed premises, reduce the hours of operation and impose conditions like one-way door policies which mean that after a certain hour, patrons who leave a bar cannot return. Derek Bell says it gives the Queenstown community its best opportunity to turn around its drinking problem. This has been a big change in terms of alcohol legislation and the object is that the sale, supply and consumption of alcohol should be undertaken safely and responsibly and that the harm caused by excessive or inappropriate consumption should be minimised and then the harm is described in significant detail any crime, damage, death, disease, disorderly behaviour, illness or injury directly and importantly indirectly caused by the excessive or inappropriate consumption of alcohol. And it's not only harm to individuals but it's also harm to society. So what we have is a harm minimisation approach to alcohol legislation. Harm minimisation would include doing the obvious things which would reduce the amount of harm and the availability of alcohol is at the top of the list. About 25 local authorities have embraced the opportunity to implement their own policies. But for Queenstown, with more licensed premises per capita than any other place in the country, a local alcohol policy will not be part of the mix, at least not yet. The Mayor, Vanessa Van Uden, says the council has decided to bide its time and put the responsibility back onto the bars, nightclubs and off-licences themselves to sort out how they ply their trade. What we decided to do was to wait and see how it worked out around the rest of the country, but also to give our licensees and the people that are actually selling alcohol, so I add to that the supermarkets and the bottle stores and the duty-free at the airport, the opportunity to be part of making sure that we protect what's really important to us in terms of the visitor experience and the experience of locals living here and take their level of responsibility before we start making a lot of rules because I think the danger can be that quite often there's an issue and everybody calls out for a solution to it so what happens is that authorities make more rules that end up punishing the people that are actually not causing the problem. So instead of focusing on general rules, I think we need to be really, really looking at those people who choose to come here and behave in a way that isn't tolerable for us. Vanessa Van Uden believes the policies in other centres will almost certainly be tested by the courts, a costly exercise she's keen to avoid. But Senior Sergeant John Fuchs wants the Queenstown community to ask itself some serious questions. What is it you want this town to be? And that's not a question for us necessarily, it's a question for the people who, you know, the ratepayers. And, and is it that you want the town to be after a certain hour at night an unfettered sort of free-for-all? Or do you want something more for your town? Do you want a more balanced approach to it? If you can answer some of those questions or, or, or come, to, come to a conclusion on some of those questions, 
then you can set up your policies and maybe your bylaws and what have you around those. So what is Queenstown like as the night wears on? I joined Sergeant Steve Watt on his evening shift. This time of the night's a pleasant time of evening. You've got the families out with their children. They've just either heading to dinner, just finished dinner. They're out enjoying the nice weather and, and it's a, a pleasant time to be out and about amongst the public. Um, it's after that 11 o'clock that things start to change a bit. You lose that family-focused atmosphere. It starts to move into a more drunk and disorderly uh, atmosphere, to, for want of a better, better word or better term. So we're in the nice zone at the moment? We are in the nice zone at the moment. Nice, pleasant, everyone's having a lovely evening. Not too intoxicated and just out to have a good night. As the hours tick by, things change dramatically. As predicted, about 11 o'clock, it's like a switch has been flicked and the mood changes. The feeling has gone from, from pleasant, nice, happy families to, uh, you know, just that, that feeling of dread, really, I suppose. The feeling that it's, things will happen. One of those guys just smacked me straight in the face. I just saw one of my mates and he just got smacked. And I just like got in between it, like like not trying to start anything, didn't throw anything, just told him just leave it. I just said just leave it, mate, just leave it. And like those bouncers just got a hold of me and just put me out. I'm not that pissed, but he can't. He 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 got me good. Like I'm not gonna lie. The guy in the white shirt. Yeah, it's all good now. Yeah, how we have the tides change. Hey, did you, you, you wouldn't have seen what happened on the hill, did you? I checked the cameras. Yeah. Oh, the boys were there. Oh, yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, you're probably best off speaking to Des, but um, I've checked the cameras and it sits right in a blind spot. So you can see the removal and yeah. you can see them them leaving, but you you can't see any assault. The problem we're faced with at the moment is that we've got a group of 15. None of, The victim and his group of friends, none of them have seen which one of that 15 is throwing the punch. So it's trying to ID him, so essentially... When we go to them and say, look, been a bit of, bit of a ruckus upstairs, which one of you guys has, you know, done this? None of them are going to put up their hands, unfortunately. So if we can at least get some information from one of the bouncers as to who threw the punch, we can start nailing it down and hopefully get a result. So at the end of the day, some guys have gone out on the town, two groups, they've had a few drinks, and a couple of them have got chipped teeth and blood. I mean, it's drink on the dance floor. Yeah, look, absolutely, and that's that's played a huge factor, I suspect. To be fair, in talking to them, they're not hugely intoxicated, but invariably when alcohol's involved, um, tensions are heightened, people's reactions to the most menial um, things are heightened, and unfortunately this is a result of those um, heightened tensions and heightened actions. This violent incident was typical of several I observed while out with the police for this Insight programme over the past six months. But some of those who've been in the industry for decades say during the past 15 years there's been a dramatic change in the way people drink in Queenstown. John Mann is a member of the District Licensing Committee and a former publican in the resort for more than 20 years. In 1991 it was a three-pub, three-club type environment. Everybody really knew where everybody was. It required a very small police force to maintain order. 
the paradigm shift, if you like, in licensing in Queenstown was the cessation of 10 o'clock closing, where pubs could compete with clubs. And so the whole industry really changed. There's been an explosion in the number of pubs and bars, along with a change in accommodation. John Mann says today visitors prefer self-service departments to hotels and the duty-free and off-licence liquor is never far away. He says that encourages drinkers to pre-load before they go into town. I think uh, it's a restricted product. I think it should be consumed in licensed premises under supervised conditions. So I would be somebody who supports licensed premises or the sale of liquor in licensed premises. So you see uh, the proliferation of off-licences. We have, have another two just opened in the last few months. Should the community uh, be restricting those sorts of offerings? No, I wouldn't be saying that, no. It's because uh, what you do in your own home is, is your own affair. I am concerned that unauthorised, if you like, or unsupervised um, consumption can lead to problems. The preloading of alcohol is widely seen as a major problem in Queenstown, with off-licence booze from supermarkets and liquor stores playing a massive role in the drinking culture of the resort. So why is Queenstown not forcing more holidaymakers to drink on licensed premises? Derek Bell, the Regional Medical Officer of Health, says the message to visitors is wrong right from the minute they step off the plane. The duty-free at Queenstown Airport is very in your face. Every international traveller has to weave through the shop as opposed to walk through a corridor between duty-free shops as you might have in the larger airports. The sale of duty-free alcohol in New Zealand is not covered by the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act. It's not a good look when people arrive in Queenstown and are confronted with that and the hard sell approach to buy the maximum amount of liquor one can purchase. Well, the duty-free store here at Queenstown International Airport is not large by any means, but passengers are sort of funneled through racks of alcohol, and as these passengers told me, the staff are ready and waiting to sell. The staff are there approaching you quite quickly saying would you like to buy some uh, duty freeze and telling you how much you can actually get which is more than you can get anywhere else in the world to the best of my knowledge anyway. You know sort of encouraging us to buy as much as our allowance would let us so yes and I've not experienced that anywhere else. In other cities around the world you can walk through a duty free but you're not accosted. Yeah well I've been through the airport many times and I'm always surprised that there isn't really an option uh, of doing anything other than going through the duty-free shop. certainly feel that there's a degree of expectation that you'd pick something up on the way through. It does seem that when you come through the Queenstown Airport, it's more than you need and we're always buying for friends and uh, you know, we're not staying in hotels, we're staying in rented accommodation, so we're always free to get as much as we, we need and we want and could possibly use. It appears for some the challenge is to make sure every last drop of duty-free is consumed before the holiday ends. The police suspect that was the case for Sydney cider James Teague. The 19-year-old was on a ski trip to Queenstown in July 2014. He and four friends were staying in the penthouse at the Glebe Apartments, 
but within days he would be dead after trying to climb up the side of the building to reach a balcony. The Glebe Apartments manager Anne Henley says it's the second time she's faced the death of a holiday maker after they'd been drinking. A lot of drunk, stupid kids that bring too much alcohol from duty-free shops and do their best to binge drink and get rid of it before they catch the plane back home to Australia. What did happen that night? He fell off the building and he died. Your daughter was here. What, what, what did she say? Um, well, originally she thought he had banged into the wall and then the police discovered that he had fallen. And of course, and it's awful to say, but Anna, it's, it's not the first uh, person that's fallen as well here. You had a, another incident as well. Yes, we did, and that was alcohol-related. It was very sad, sad for his family, sad for everybody. You've been in this town a long time, in the hospitality uh, sector. You know, what, what's happening? What do you see changing? I don't know. Maybe they're just allowed too much at the duty-free shops. And what I think is a lot of them are doing, they stay in their rooms and get themselves so tanked up so they don't have to pay the prices downtown and then go downtown and finish themselves off. And it's all these shots too. Kids are shot mad. Alias Travel, the company that runs the duty-free store at Queenstown Airport, wouldn't be interviewed. But in a statement they said, the policy around the sale and allowance of duty-free alcohol is one for the government to decide. And the Mayor Vanessa Van Uden says she supports a review of the amounts of duty-free alcohol people can bring into the country. The management of those who drink before they go into town more often than not ends up in the hands of the bars and nightclubs. Eight months ago, Queenstown Police began a crackdown on how the resort's watering holes were managing the sale of alcohol to their customers. Both undercover officers and police wearing high-visibility fluoro vests were deployed, and on some nights, six or seven officers could descend on a bar to make sure they were operating within the law. It didn't go down very well with the bars, as owner Chris Buckley explains. It's certainly intimidating. You notice them, whether the place is packed or not, and you're going to notice four or five cops popping in and walking right around everyone and questioning them and stuff. And it does almost come across like questioning. They may be just asking real basic information. To most people, it's like being questioned. And, yeah, it's just uncomfortable. I suppose they had to flex a muscle to, just to say, this is a new law, this is where it's at. We knew there was going to be that period that this kind of stuff was going to happen, so we were prepared for it. Bouncer Ed Stott says the police tactics are a sure way to empty out the bars. The general public and the patrons within a bar don't understand that the police are just there to, you know, to check and keep an eye on uh, the levels of intox and make sure the bars and the bar managers are doing their roles properly. Patrons and the general public always think the worst and think, well, there must have been a, a big fight or you know, something's happened, um, whereas that's not the case. So like I said, when one or two police officers come in, I think it's great um, when, when five or six descend on one bar and they spend sort of 25, 30, 40 minutes in a bar. Uh, sometimes I think that can be perhaps a little bit over the top. And the police are good, you know, a lot of the police here in Queenstown, you know, they understand that, you know, they do have an effect on, on business. You know, they know that if they, you know, four of them walk into a small bar that they can quite quickly empty that bar. I think it's just the way in which it's carried out, really. But following that police crackdown, bar owners appear to have focused more on the problems. They also heeded the warning from the council that unless they started taking the new legislation seriously, 
then a local alcohol policy would bring in measures such as one-way door policies and earlier closing times. Tracy Poole is the general manager of the biggest group of bars in Queenstown. We have to work with these people. This is how it goes in the future. I think your customers, your patrons will soon understand that this is life. Having something like the local councils running things, I think as long as you work with the councils as well, they don't want to ruin what Queenstown is. They're not there to stand and be a, a kind of nanny state. So what happens if the council do decide to put in place this uh, local alcohol policy uh, and what if they do what some other cities are doing, uh, you know, two o'clock closing, one-way door policies, no shots after ten? That's going to impact on your business. It will impact on the business, but that's why you work with them. So far, I don't think anybody's got the one-way door policy in because it's been proven that it doesn't work. It's, it's been done in a lot of places all over the world, and it hasn't worked and it's been lifted. Blanket two o'clock closing, again, is that going to work? Because you're going to push everybody who's had a few drinks onto the streets at once rather than delaying getting them home. Hey, your transport, how is your transport going to work if everybody's pushed onto the streets at the same time? You're going to cause an issue. Those kind of things are, have to be looked at sensibly and seriously. We've put together an accord which is represented by quite a few different areas of the licensing industry. And I think that's a plus side for us. The Queenstown Bar Accord was drawn up in November last year and it brings together rival bars who work with each other on measures to reduce alcohol-related harm. And it's been successfully used in other centres around the country. The chairman of the Accord, Mike Burgess, sets out why such an agreement was needed. The landscape of the law has changed and so we need to change with that by having better communication not only amongst ourselves but also with the council and police. We see it as a positive thing. So what will you be doing? In, as part of the Accord document there's a number of initiatives that have been put in place for the licensees which will hopefully attempt to curb alcohol abuse. Security will all be in high vis. Free water will be offered at the front of our premises after 10 o'clock at night. Um, there is a common radio contact point amongst all security staff. How many items of clothing did we remove between this team? Three. The bouncers at the doors of the resorts, bars and nightclubs make the call about who gets into a licensed premise. Ed Stott manages one of the biggest companies providing door staff to a large number of bars and he says there's been a change in the way bouncers manage patrons. We're finding that we're actually turning more people away on the door than, than previously. I'd say probably, probably turning away probably 30% more now than we were perhaps two years ago. But at the same time, as a result of that, we're actually kicking out less people from within inside the properties and the premises. Um, so, you know, what I think is preloading is definitely becoming more of a factor. I think people are buying a lot more booze from bottle stores and drinking later at home. There's more of a culture now that the bars don't become busy until perhaps you know, 12 o'clock, 12.30, whereas beforehand they may have become busy at perhaps 10.30 or 11 o'clock. The bar accord has been almost universally embraced among bar and restaurant owners. But a suggestion the agreement is being used to take the lead in local alcohol policy is firmly rejected by Queenstown's Mayor Vanessa Van Uden. She denies it's being used to put pressure on the council to step back from a local alcohol policy. We listen to all sorts of parts of the community. I haven't actually heard any of them say we don't want an LAP. What, I, what our discussions with them have been is you've got an opportunity at the moment 
uh, to actually demonstrate to this community that you are responsible members of this community, willing to be part of the solution, rather than just taking your money and enjoying it. Um, and they've worked proactively with us, at groups of them, and we will continue that conversation. However, if in the end the community deems it wants a local alcohol policy, then that is the path we will go down. But we need to do it together. Bill Unwin is the chairman of the Queenstown District Licensing Committee. He's a former district court judge and for many years was the chairman of the Liquor Licensing Authority. He believes it's inevitable that Queenstown will develop a local alcohol policy. He says it may not be the draconian framework that the bars fear, but he still supports options such as one-way door policies. I think they work, uh, but Australians don't. Uh, I think that they are a useful tool uh, when a licensee is misbehaving. And, um, and so, in a way, you, you can, and I'm talking about genuine misbehaviour, genuine lack of interest in the community, allowing people to get intoxicated and so on. It doesn't happen very often. If it does, a one-way door policy for that particular establishment is an excellent start to a process whereby they know that their, um, their licence is at risk. It can be used as a, as, as a tool, as a stick. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure about whether you would want a one-way door policy in the, in the town centre and prevent people from moving about and then all coming out at the same time, frankly. Would you say that Queenstown is at a, a bit of a crossroads because is th there is no reason why Qu Queenstown wouldn't go the same way as many other resorts around the world where it is a destination for drinking and out-of-control behaviour? Is it heading in that direction or is it okay, do you think? <laughs> if it was heading in that direction, not so many people would come. There are many more attractions in Queenstown than drinking, in my book. Uh, as long as it's ancillary to those attractions, Queenstown's got it right. As other councils try to implement local alcohol policies, with Bill Unwin fearing many will be challenged in the courts, Queenstown is attempting to pave its own way, fitting for the country's number one holiday resort. And Derek Bell, the Regional Medical Officer of Health, says that won't be easy. Look, I think Queenstown is different. I think tourist towns are generally different. I don't know where Queenstown will end up in, in the next few years. I think uh, there will be some discussion around this. I think the council will eventually move on a draft local alcohol policy. I think there will be robust discussion and the loudest voices will, um, will be industry. The community is hard pressed to fight against industries which can put forward teams of corporate lawyers. However, I think it's been already clear from the decisions that have come out of the appeals that uh, the economic argument doesn't have a place. The police, the medical officer of health, the bar owners and the council, but perhaps more importantly the holiday makers, say they want Queenstown's vibrant and energetic atmosphere to endure. But the message to all the stakeholders, including the drinkers themselves, is that they will need to take responsibility and work together to ensure that happens. I'm Steve Wilde, and that's Insight for this week. 
If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send a tweet at rnz underscore insight.